As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman. It's good to be back. This week we're joined uh, later in the show by David Ubbin, our colleague, to talk about the Tennessee uh, nail salon scandal, we'll call it that, uh, as well as some other things around the SEC. Um, But first, Bruce, you know, I always plan my vacation for the first two weeks of July because that's the slowest time of year in college football. Nothing, nothing ever happens then. And so I'm back. You can fill me in, but I assume you were scrounging for material, right? Nothing really happened while I was gone. Yeah. Of all things, you picked the time and maybe you did it intentionally because you knew it's your alma mater. It was coming down. Northwestern football became the talk of college football. And Pat Fitzgerald, you know, once the uh, president of the AFCA, no less, a guy who is one of the most respected uh, figures in college football is now out of a job. Do you remember that we actually answered a mailbag question? I, I want to say only like three. No, it was the episode before. And, and was I it really? Part of it, yeah, because John Hayes, our producer, talked about is Pat Fitzgerald on a hot seat? The guy asked, "Will Northwest? when will Northwestern run out of patience with Pat Fitzgerald? And I said... I don't know that if they will. I mean, if he goes one in 11 again, they, they have to like answer some hard questions, but I tried to explain the unique dynamic of how, of how he's so revered there um, that he doesn't necessarily face the same scrutiny that another, you know, a typical coach in that position would. Well, we found out what it would take to lose patience. And it's an awful, awful hazing scandal that happened under his watch um, it was very surreal to follow this from afar, especially because of the time difference. Like the, the major stuff broke in the middle of the night where I was and I'd wake up the next morning to a barrage of texts, including the day that he was fired. And at that point, we knew he was going to get fired. I mean, that wasn't surprising, but it's still I mean, it still hit hit hard. Like this is a guy I've known since 1995. Um, who I've always respected as a, as a coach for sure. Um, and, but I, you know, I'm not going to sit here and defend him. Like that was absolutely, he's the head coach. He's responsible whether he knew or not. Um, I do wonder if it might've played out a little differently for him. If the school hadn't issued that, you know, phony penalty in the first place, if they had actually come out and held a press conference and said, we've, we've uncovered some terrible allegations in the program Here's what they are instead of trying to hide behind a press release. And uh, we take it so seriously that we're going to suspend Pat Fitzgerald for half the season or something like that. Would he have possibly survived or would have been the same exact outcry for, for his job? I don't know, but um, it's very, it's still, you know, a week later, it's still very surreal that a guy who many of us thought might coach them for another decade uh, is, is gone and that the school and the program are under such a, I mean, I, I think it's going to be set back to the stone ages, like between the fact that they were already pretty bad 
And now this is this the the scandal is gonna, you know, overshadow them for some time. I do want to ask you this because you 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 covered Pat Fitzgerald as a as a player when you were a student, when you were both were students at Northwestern in the mid-90s. That's almost 30 years ago. And like many of us, you felt like you've had very, you know, a positive impression of him and his leadership of that program and how he's dealt with dealt with people, especially in the media. So I would ask you in this regard, because I'll be honest, this is something that like I'm still trying to process because I do think this story is still, even though he's been fired and forced out, I still think this story is playing out. Details are coming out because the school was not transparent at all in, in, as you said, you know, first it had its Friday news dump. Then, then it was a suspension when he was basically on vacation for two weeks. Then the president saw the backlash that was coming to it. Um, and then he reassessed and some more details started to come out. I thought was interesting that the, the AD of the school had been out of the country, I guess, on vacation and hadn't returned yet to when they had fired Fitzgerald. And I wondered, do you like, why wouldn't you have at least waited till you can come back and, and be present and, and speak to the team in person in addition. And I don't know if they looked at it and said, well, we're going to do this right now before more stuff comes to light. Well, I don't, I, I don't know because they haven't really, you know, spoken up about it, but to circle back on Fitzgerald, I mean, if he did not know, which is what he is saying, and, now, and there's going to be a lawsuit coming, and there's lawsuits probably coming back in the other direction towards Northwestern. Do you, do you, do you, have you lost respect for him? Do you, like, how do you look at him now in, in the face of, as, as you said, there are really disturbing, ugly allegations of what went on there of degrading sexual yeah Nature. you think you're still trying to process it <laughs> imagine what i'm trying to do but i what i say is i think in these you know firestorms i mean do you think it's just a blind spot that he might have had or do you think this was i think that first of all anytime there's a firestorm kind of story like this people look at it very black and white you know either the guy is a uh, is great or he's terrible and obviously human beings are more complicated than that. So like, you can't, you're not going to sit here and convince me that he's a bad guy and he was a bad guy all along, or he's a hypocrite or anything like that. But it definitely, you know, in terms of his coaching uh, reputation, um, kind of damages it forever. And, and I, what I have found myself looking back at now a little bit is, there are some things he would say in the media that would, you know, get a little bit of attention and, and maybe some criticism, but he would kind of get a pass for them because he was such a respected coach. But like, I mean, he was old school, you know, he, he did not hide. He was old school. He one time he referred to RPOs as communism. Um, you know, if it were up to him, they would still be playing by the same rules and the same style as they were when he was a player. So um, you know, it makes you wonder, Hey, is that same, like kind of blind that, as you said, blind like that, if that's your worldview, right? Like that, the, that football was, was better, you know, before these kids got iPhones and blah, blah, blah. Would that cause you to have a blind spot for some things that maybe that were happening when you were a player too, but hadn't yet, you know, become a, a such a sensitive issue. I don't know, but some of the things that are described in there are so terrible. Nobody would, Nobody could possibly condone it. And so, like you said, there's, you know, I find, I find it interesting that, you know, 11, they got in their school investigation and they didn't uncover this at first, but, or didn't announce this at first, 11 current and former players confirmed the hazing, but none of them have said, yeah, Pat Fitzgerald knew. So it's all speculate. It's all like, we can say, well, how could he possibly have not known? But nobody has yet like come out and said that directly. I think to answer your question, it's a long answer. If it did come out that he was in on it or condoned it, like then that's a whole other 
that's a whole other some of these stories too have uh, have uh, asserted that he was not only had knowledge of it but they were talking about like the shrek clap that um they basically are saying that not only did he know that it was almost like he was directing it and i think that uh, uh i don't think that that's how it was portrayed it was like yeah they somebody looked at a video and saw him doing that clap and okay that's suspicious but um you know even the whistleblower in the daily northwestern didn't come out flat out say like oh yeah he definitely knew it was more like how could he have not known um the, the northwestern rival site you know, when it was still in those early stages before he got fired, said that he had talked to to staff men, former staff members, not players, staff members who confirmed some of these details. Like if the staff members knew either they didn't report it up to Fitzgerald or Fitzgerald knew, too, and nobody's going to come out and say it. So um, just today, just just while we were recording our interview with David Oven, that we're going to air here in a little bit, um, eight Northwestern players who, you know, were who are alleging that they were abused as part of these hazing activities have hired Ben Crump, who is an extremely prominent civil rights attorney, um, which tells you what to your point. Like, it's like the story is almost just beginning um, more. They're expecting more players to sign on. They're going to obviously um, the fact that they put out a press release that they're representing them tells me there's going to be more press releases down the road. Uh, possibly lawsuits and the details are going to be really ugly. You know, it's possible that more comes out about Pat Fitzgerald at some point during all this. And one other thing I would say, Bruce is like the, the, the cleaning of house at that place should not end with Pat Fitzgerald. Derek Gregg, the AD should be gone, not just because of the football thing, but somehow on top of all this, there was a baseball scandal where the head coach was bullying players, former coaches, Assistant coaches left in the middle of the season because he it was so bad. Um, you know, it's just complete lack of oversight. So he should be gone. Um, you know, I would I would hope that if there's any evidence that there was anybody in the athletic department who knew anything about any of this stuff, that they would be gone. Um, and just you know, I wrote a column. I did you know one morning in Italy write a column after he's fired. It's a real. It's a moment that the school has to really do some soul searching. This is a school that has invested so much in their athletics recently, and they're about to try to build an $800 million football stadium. You might want to hit a pause on that. Like this is one of the uglier athletic department scandals we've seen in recent memory. And I think you got to get your house in order before you go about something like that. All right. Um, as you said, we will keep an eye on that story, but let's get to our guest, David Ubbin, who will talk the Tennessee mess that was ongoing with Jeremy Pruitt that has come to some now finally into a lot more resolution, especially for if you're a big balls fan, as well as the latest with the Georgia story that we talked about a month or so ago and more on the field stuff as it relates to especially the SEC. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. We're pleased to be joined now by our colleague, David Oven. David covers all things college football for us, but I believe your first, if, correct me if I'm wrong, your first three years at The Athletic, you are a Tennessee writer, and that spanned the entirety of the, of the now infamous Jeremy Pruitt era, which the NCAA exposed in all of its uh, brazen ch- cheating uh, when, the, when the sanctions came out Friday. So um, they avoided a bowl ban. 
it's mostly scholarships, but really it's about the, 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 the individuals, Jeremy Pruitt, six year show cause. Did, I believe it said, right. Like, even if you, if somebody hired him, he'd have, he'd be suspended for the entire first season. A one year suspension. So, you know, that's a, uh, that's a pretty hefty exile from the sport um, because I think there's a, as a, a lot of, a lot of talk about him being Nick Saban's defensive coordinator. About yeah. That was coming up this off season. I, I think there's the, there's this idea, um, you know, that the show cause means you can't hire someone that doesn't, that isn't what it means. It just puts up a lot of barriers, but a mandated one year suspension, especially for somebody as accomplished as Jeremy Pruitt. I, I, you know, I'm not an NCAA scholar, uh, of punishments, um, but that I have not heard of that before. Um, well, so. let's start there before we get into the to the amusing, mostly amusing uh, details of the cheating. I do feel like this was a pretty significant NCA ruling in that it marked a big change from the way things have always been done mm-hmm. to what they're trying to do now. Like we are all used to bull bands. Uh, vacating wins, which they did do here, though there weren't very many wins to vacate. I wish they could and, vacate the time that I spent rewatching some terrible football. I don't think I'm going to get that time back from the NCAA, but <laughs> it wasn't the whole tenure worth it just to have the story about the boot setting on fire, right? Like, <laughs> well, that uh, yeah, that was, the I, I've developed that was after they pretty, lost to Georgia State, right? Yeah, that was after they well, no, it was the morning of because I woke up the day of the Georgia State game. It's the first day of the season, you know, you're you're. You're feeling good. The season's getting ready to start. And there's some rumors that a boat had sank overnight. And uh, I was kind of working before the game to, to figure out, you know, who had done it and, and, and what had happened. And then when they lose the game as a 24-point favorite, I want to say, uh, that boat story took on a bit more significance. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that there – there, there were there were very few memorable moments in the three years of, of covering Jeremy Pruitt, but the uh, the boat saga was probably one of them. And ironically, I found the guy because I had done a story in the Vol Navy the year before, and I had a, a tangled web of boat sources that I was able to work <laughs> through to uh, to ascertain the owner of the boat and uh, and get get it together with him and talk about it. And interesting story. Saved a dog. It was a new anyway. Quite a quite a time uh, of the Jeremy Pruitt. Uh, All right, sorry I took you on that tangent. The point <laughs> I was making was I don't know why it took them till 2023 to, to concede this, but hey, maybe it's not fair to punish current players for something that happened three four years ago. So no bull ban, um, but really, well, first of all, an eight million dollar fine. I also have never heard of that. Well, like, so that's that's, that's basically a, that's that's basically a two year bowl ban because the idea is that we're not going to ban you from a bowl, but we're going to dock you the money that you probably would have earned from a bowl. So it's a two year bowl right. ban in practice financially, but the kids still get to as Jeremy, I mean, as, as Josh Hype would say, compete for championships. They get to keep doing that while the school still incurs some penalties for what happened without penalizing kids. I like the fines a lot more. Now you're getting into a, an issue now where the the budgets are so huge that $8 million is both nothing to sneeze at and also more insignificant than significant, I guess. Um, so, you know, it, it is what it is, but it's in effect a two year bowl ban without actually preventing kids from playing in a bowl. Um, and so, yeah. David, let me ask you this. So, you know, first uh, we all talked about this offline, you know, props to Adam Sparks, the Tennessee beat writer has done, ex- you know, exceptional Great work. Stuff and bringing a lot of detail to this i want to ask you because um, i was down in texas uh, for big 12 media days and Stu was just coming back from vacation there was a lot to dive into which of the many meaty stories that the news sentinel brought to light really really caught your eye well there's a long list i think the first one to me is that the initial whistleblower com- complaint had sort of started some things, but they noted that a joke that a staffer had made about nail salons and Brian Niedermeyer's salary and his lack of pay cut during COVID actually sort of ignited the form, the, the, the sort of, I think the, the New- Knoxville News Sentinel said it sort of blew the lid off of this saga. Uh, I think the fact that they called into duty the uh, attorney general from, te- from Tennessee 
to help sort of threaten legal action to make sure that a bull ban was not on the table. And then, you know, we're recording this Monday and certainly the viral aspect of it is Jeremy Pruitt talking about in his defense to the NCAA that we had George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor on his mind when he gave a mom $300 in a Chick-fil-A bag, which mind you, Chick-fil-A bag, not a McDonald's bag. That was that part of the record was corrected, I believe a year or so ago. Um, But Chick-fil-A to me seems much more appropriate for the SEC. I have to say. What uh, explain. So for people who haven't poured through the document, explain the Niedermeyer nail salon. Uh, so, one of the penalties that they were they, they were penalized with was uh, was be, one of the well, violations rather was that that Brian Niedermeyer had funded a trip to a nail salon for a player, uh, their parents or uh, just a family of a player. It's a pretty clear violation, um, but they're trying to show them a good time. And you know, if there's money overflowing, it is what it is. And so somebody was joking because the, I remember during COVID, a bunch of coaches took pay cuts. I forget who did and who didn't. I'm almost certain that Brian Niedermeyer did not. Either way, it doesn't particularly matter. But a staffer joked that Brian can't take a, a pay cut because he's got to keep paying for uh, trips to the nail salon out of his pockets. <laughs> Which Brian Niedermeyer, after, after he won National Recruiter of the Year in 2019, and we went to Alaska to write about him, actually. Got a raise from 205000 to 355000 And uh, that can fund a lot of trips to the nail salon. Ryan Niedermar, an interesting figure in here. So for most people who probably maybe know the name but don't know anything about her or maybe don't even know the name at all, mm-hmm. he had started out, he, he was a student assistant at Arkansas Pine Bluff uh, about 10 years ago. Yeah, he played and for then- HBCU, which is very, very interesting. He transferred from a junior college to go play at HBCU. And then he, his first real jobs in major college football, graduate assistant at Georgia and then a graduate assistant at Alabama and then got moved up to be assistant director of recruiting, recruiting operations at Alabama where he worked uh, also with Jeremy Pruitt. And then when Pruitt got the job, became the Vols tight ends coach. And as you said, he was named National Recruiter of the Year in 2019 by both 247 Sports and ESPN. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Here's a question for you both on this, knowing what we know, like are our fans of other schools who are probably laughing at Tennessee a little bit in this and certainly at Jeremy Pruitt's expense, looking at some of this stuff and going, okay, well, we know where Jeremy Pruitt used to work. I mean, there's stuff in, in some of these stories where it's talking about Jeremy Pruitt, ta- you know, withdrawing huge, huge amounts of cash to carry around and that, the, the Knoxville News Sentinel also points out that he had done had the same MO when he was at Alabama. Um, Niedermeyer came there. I mean, our colleague Joe Rexford wrote an interesting column uh, earlier today, Monday, about this. And I think the not so veiled reference was Jeremy Pruitt was losing a lot of games while he was cheating big. If he wasn't losing a lot of games, is the Tennessee leadership going to fall on his sword or shove him on his sword as, as forcefully as it did? I'd ask you, David, you covered this program very thoroughly. What do you take about away from that? So the short answer to your question is yes. Uh, if Jeremy Pruitt goes seven and three in 2020 instead of three and seven, this does not happen. Now, in the immediate aftermath of the sanctions dropping, you know, I pointed out uh, on Twitter to a lot of Tennessee fans anger i suppose this whole thing was to avoid paying a 12.6 million dollar buyout the phil fulmer had given jeremy pruitt a ill-advised extension it was very clear he was not the guy uh he'd made a ton of enemies on campus and he was losing games and that was a very frustrating 2020 season um they finished they won their first game against south carolina lost the two of their lost seven of the last nine and most importantly they're getting blown out by their rivals routinely georgia alabama florida they were taking beatings uh so they were motivated to get rid of this coach. So you get an $8 million fine. You get uh, another million dollars on top of that. Cause they have to get, I think it's one point. I forget what the number is, but another million or two from the Gator bowl that they are uh, adding on to that. They have to give back. Then you have a million and a half full of um, uh, the lawyer fees that you paid. So you probably come close to coming out on top a million and a half, 2 million ish. And then you add on, you have two and a half years of, uh, NCAA storm clouds. And also it was very naked that this is what was happening. It was hurting Tennessee's reputation in the coaching field. Um, didn't help their uh, odds of, of hiring a coach. Now it's all worked out for them. Danny white is killing it. 
Josh Heupel's killing it. They're doing great. So for them, it's sort of worth it. Um, but when you go back to the initial whistleblower, okay, you basically have three options. One, you can ignore it, and you can get in even more trouble. But if you're winning, I think more what happens is you you field that whistleblower complaint, and you say, hey, we're going to go ask Jeremy Pruitt. We're going to do sort of a sham investigation. And we say, oh, well, maybe we find a couple you know, uh, deals and self-report, and this sort of goes away. What no school does – because very few schools try to get out of a $12.6 million. No school pays $1.5 million for a colonoscopy of everything they're doing in their recruiting department. If more schools did, I think you'd find a lot of similar things to what Tennessee is. The reason that they pay in cash and the reason that so much this is hush-hush and people are nervous is because when you're cheating, it's not that hard to be good at it. And now in the NIL era, I think the cheating has gone down quite a bit. You could call inducement cheating, but it's very easy to legally pay guys now. But in the old days, you'd usually have to have someone in the process, whether it be a booster or a player or someone that's disgruntled, um, that is mad at you. And I don't think you'd have that in the Tennessee situation. Instead, you pay $1.5 million for everyone to come through. And I still remember the day that I was told by a source that they had gotten Brian Niedermeyer's second phone. And I was like, well... If they have that, <laughs> this is over. Like, this is done. And I, I, I had been told continually that the existence of the investigation was reason that this that he was going to get fired because people forget there was like a five-week limbo from the end of the season to when Jeremy Pruitt was actually fired where all this investigation was happening. No one would say anything, but everyone I talked to was like, he's gone, he's gone, he's gone. And then he'd wake up every day and he wasn't until one day he was. I think what's, they wanted him what wanted out. I think what what also factors into this is um, coaching staffs, especially recruiting staffs, have gotten so big and so bloated and there's a lot more people involved that one of the things that came out, I think, became pretty clear from reading the 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 new Sentinel reporting was how sloppy, you know, and I think we both all use the term brazen, but I just think it was like amateur hour at this because you had a lot of people who were either relatively new to this, didn't understand. Like I, I go back to something that came up. It's ironic because this other case is still in the NCAA pipeline and that's Arizona state with Herm Edwards, where I remember hearing from a, from a coach in a different conference talking about how players had, had openly recruits had openly talked about the stuff Arizona state was doing mm -hmm. and they weren't trying to implicate them. They just didn't know the NCAA rules on it because they're, 16 17 18 year olds and the rules change especially some of it from year to year and i think what you had here was a lot of people who were just like that's how a lot of the moda operations is and so i i don't know if they necessarily were wise to Ooh, i really shouldn't put that out there no you probably shouldn't and i think that that's where they kind of left such a messy footprint because you had so many people who probably shouldn't have been part of a process like this and weren't mm -hmm. before and I think it got incredibly clumsy. Well, I remember in the, I forget which year it was. I mean, pretty early on, I think the first year I, I was talking to somebody and I said, you know, if this thing doesn't work uh, or, you know, the hurdles to it not work, I can't remember. It's that I was thinking from the top to the bottom, you have a ton of people doing jobs they've never done before. Phil Fulmer, the athletic director, Jeremy Pruitt, the head coach, Tyson Helton, the offensive coordinator, uh, Derek Ansley, I think he came later, I forget, but Derek Ansley, a defensive coordinator. You have a couple first-time position coaches. And most importantly now, you had a recruiting staff, um, and most all of them obviously got cleaned out. They had never done this before, and they were extraordinarily bad at covering their tracks. Um, but again, I think people underestimate the depth of the investigation here. Like The investigation was so in-depth that I had a source actually over the weekend uh, show me a part of the document because I kind of skimmed through it, but I didn't read all, all 90 pages of it, but said that part of the investigation was going back to these restaurants and hotels, getting their security footage and watching the security footage in isolation to break down and make sure, oh, this person came in after the party had left and had paid or these recruiting assistants, I can identify them. They're paying these hotels before the recruits get there. I mean, has any school in the history of the world done this? And again, I get the Tennessee, you know, the Tennessee faction. They can do a victory lap. They won. You can say, oh, we did this because it was right. Okay. Or 
Did you do it because it was going to save you $12.6 million? Like, come on, guys. A little bit of honesty here, right? Okay. And just to clarify, when you say how thorough the investigate, you're talking not about an NCA investigation. Yes, Tennessee's let's, own self-investigation. Tennessee paid $1.5 million, I think was the rough number, for this investigation. Now, mind you, while this investigation is going on, the NCAA, this is not a joint investigation. This is a Tennessee investigation paid for a Kansas law firm that is very good at getting coaches out of buyouts. It's the same law firm that Kansas hired to get out of David Beatty's uh, law firm or out of his buyout. And the NCAA would pop in on Zoom and listen and log all the interviews, or they'd send people to town, and when they're doing interviews in person, the NCAA would be sitting in these interviews. Tennessee's doing this and handing all this over to the NCAA. Now, are they doing this out of the kindness of their own hearts? If they want to say that, that's fine. But they also have $12.6 million to, re to do it. And that's sort of, you know, not only that, but you have a coach that's losing. You have a coach that's making so many enemies on campus. The stories you hear are insane um, about the, the, just the ways that, that Jeremy Pruitt was a, a bull in a china shop on Tennessee's campus and sort of acted in many ways like you need to cede to me and I'm the boss and I'm running things in a way that you would imagine Nick Saban might. But the problem is that Nick Saban's got a lot of title rings, a lot of first-round picks, and a lot of coaches that have been made head coaches that make people cede to some of those demands. And they're not going to do that at Tennessee for a first-time head coach that they don't know that's losing and that is – just treating people poorly all over the place that, that can't help it. I think you said the right word earlier. Like it was just so sloppy. Yes. Um, you've got people openly. And remember this is during the 2020 COVID dead period when nobody's supposed to be visiting campus and they just went on as normal, but they're texting each other openly about how to get around the rules. Like we got to, you know, find a way to get this kid in um, on a, on a, you know, can we turn this unofficial into an official or something like that and or an official into an unofficial? So I want to make clear because there's going to be people there's already people reading this and they're listening and saying, come on, guys, you don't think this goes on at Alabama, Georgia, you know, et cetera, et cetera. That was not going on. <laughs> no, I'm not naive enough to say yeah. because all of this was about paying for unofficial visits. We all have heard stories of that, right? Like schools mm -hmm. find ways to pay to get kids on campus. I just think that, you know, I think it had to be very unusual for coaches to be going to an ATM or Jeremy Pruitt's case, apparently his own car. Now that that's broadcast, by the way, I would not keep cash in your car, Jeremy Pruitt. Um, you know, we've always been on the impression that you just funnel it through the boosters. The boosters do it. So there's no culpability to the coaches. These guys were going and taking out of their personal bank account the money to pay for kids to take on official visits. I just think it was just like, like you said, a bunch of people who had no experience in this, who were just, were incompetent and, and made it like, basically just like gave them a roadmap, gave the investigators a roadmap to bust the thing wide open. Yeah, that's true. But I also think it still comes down to, you're not doing this with the belief that, Hey, someday, my investigation is going to be motivated to investigate all of this and have a lot more power than the NCAA has. If you had let the NCAA investigate this, if they forwarded this whistleblower complaint and said, you know, we don't know what this is about, we've asked, whatever. The NCAA finds maybe 5% of what they found because they wouldn't, they wouldn't have any reason to uh, cooperate in terms of handing over phones or bank records. I'm not even sure they got the bank records. I guess if you're working at Tennessee, they could do. They could say, "Give this to us," or "You're fired," or whatever. But when you know what's in there, I was surprised at the detail that they had there. Um, but again, like the NCAA has no subpoena power. The NCAA has a, a relatively toothless investigation arm, um, and especially now, you know, when when so few people have cooperated and lived to tell the tale, a lot more often you see folks circle the wagons, and it's very hard to prove anything. And you know. I, We'll never know what, what happens in the alternate uh, universe where Tennessee handles this differently. And, and ultimately, they didn't get a bull ban and their football program's fixed. And so when those two things are hand in hand, everything else is sort of a win for Tennessee. So they can feel good about that. Um, but this has just been such a, um unorthodox situation from the start. It's it's kind of amazing to see and amazing now to see that it's over and looking back and seeing some of the documents that, uh, you know, we'd never quite seen a lot like this, you know, before. I think when they started investigating David Beatty, 
the worst that they could find was that he had uh, too many coaches doing on-field coaching, and that was what they tried to hang their hat on. Jeremy Pruitt made it a little easier. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Guys, I want to pivot to on-field stuff with SEC Media Days kicking off this week in, in Nashville. But before I do, I feel like we do have to hit on one other big story in the SEC that a lot of people are talking about. And it's, it's an off-the-field stuff involving the national champion, Georgia Bulldogs. And it is um, – Stu and I, David, uh, I want to say it's probably a month ago. Uh, there's been a couple of big investigative pieces that the Atlanta Journal-Constitution had done – the first one was on the problem with a lot of players having uh, excessive speeding citations, especially in the wake of two members of the Georgia football family uh, being killed la- last winter. Um, and then the second was on a sexual violence story. And in the last few days, um, there's been a lot of pushback. The, the, the uh, Georgia athletic department, was looking for a retraction and an, I think an apology from the AJC. And so as the story has kind of continued to s- spill out, um, there was a rivals.com story bringing to light some ethical issues that had surfaced from, from the reporter of those two investigations, Alan Judd's past. Um, what do you guys, where, where's the story going and does it make you, you know, look at those stories, especially the second one in a different light. I think for me, so the speeding story, the thing that keeps coming to mind when I see it, and I've seen, you know, all the the stuff that's happened since the two deaths in January, to me, it feels disrespectful to your teammates legacy and to their memory that, Hey, they died doing this and I'm going to, I'm going to keep doing it. The story that I read about that, you know, it, uh, the 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 Georgia Athletic Association had brought up some some questions about the details of that case, but ultimately, I think it's fair to say that there is this sort of weird culture of drag racing within the program that you don't hear about elsewhere. And that, again, I, I just keep coming back to. I feel like it's disrespectful to the memory of your teammate. The sexual assault story, I think, is more complicated because you read through some of the details of that story, and you're kind of like, well. You know, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I think the biggest thing for me, and I remember when, when the, the Georgia Athletic Association, they have this this statement that comes out demanding a retraction and apology. I see the link, and I kind of roll my eyes because we've seen this before, right? We saw this in the Northwestern scandal where they're like, this is a good man. How dare you besmirch his name? You know, he was nice to me all the time, so he couldn't be mean to somebody else. I was kind of expecting one of those. Instead, we get nine pages of, you know, pretty detailed refutation of the facts in the story and to me the biggest one that stood out 
in the story, they, they reference that there's 11 players that had been accused of violence against women or sexual assault against women um, and had remained on the team. I had heard of the Adam Anderson case, and he never played again. I, I you know, was not aware of the recruiting um, situation with Jamal Jarrett until that story dropped. Um, but when Georgia asks for the names of the 11 players and how they defined it and he refuses to give it to them, that's – that's a problem to me. And as far as, you know, the stuff in the past, it, it is what it is. I think you got to deal with every situation as it comes up and in the situation individually. Um, but Georgia's refutation of this strikes me as pretty uh, – I, I buy a lot of what they're saying because I think they're they're dealing with the facts. And, uh, and when you point out some of the problems in the reporting like they have in that nine-page letter – I came away from reading that thinking uh, they make some pretty good points. Um, you know, the, the AJC, I think it's standing behind their reporting, but I, I think the the questions with the sexual assault story to me ring pretty true um, in that I, I understand why George is playing this out. And I think every college football fan base thinks every reporter is out to get them and the media hates us. They're just digging up dirt and all this stuff. And I think when you do investigative work, and don't do it well, it makes it harder to do investigative work in the future. And for me as a reporter, that's one of the things I came away with is, is this doesn't seem like the most buttoned up work. Um, and and the details that Georgia pointed out to me are, are pretty troubling when you think about it as one reporter to another. I think we tend to default to the journalist is right, right? Like lots you of- said people, we, You mean the people who are in the business, not- People in the business, like, you know, this is not a, you know, um, it's not uncommon for a school or players or coach, whoever, who've been an, uh, accused of something to blame it on the media and to and lie about we it. in the media see through that most of the time. But in this case, yeah, there's some troubling details. Um, uh, I saw an excerpt of the police report involving the 16 year old recruit and the details did not match the way it was portrayed in that story. So, mm-hmm. you know, again, like, I think the, I don't want to minimize sexual assault. Like obviously the Adam Anderson case in particular, very troubling, but it seems like he leapt from a very legitimate story about stemming from the accident in January. And this just like completely reckless, you know, uh, pattern of, of um, speeding and Kirby smart. When he met with the reporters last week, he wasn't trying to deny any of that. Like he, yeah, we've got a problem. We're still trying to figure out how to deal with it. It was this next story that is proving to be pretty problematic. And um, I don't know. It almost like gives the school a little bit of cover. If this turns out to be a, a really badly reported story, that that will then take some of the spotlight away from the speeding stuff. And I think the speeding stuff is totally legitimate. Mm-hmm. I think the, the issue, you know, and we were talking about this, about this a while back because of, you know, Henry Ruggs and what happened to him early in his career in the NFL with excessive speed, like when I, and we talked about that in detail. Right. And then, especially as it's like, as, as Stu was saying, like Kirby Smart's trying to figure out what do we do? And I think people are looking at it from the outside and going, well, are you, how are you disciplining your players? Are you saying like, are you taking playing time away from them? Are you, you know, if, if it's that degree and then all of a sudden it, it, another story, I don't want to say even more severity, but even more disturbing as it's, as the headline is, um, you know, I, I'm interested to see how this plays out just on the AJC piece of it internally as it is, because, this is certainly a very, very high profile, you know, it's like this is the two time defending national champs. It's in, it's obviously in their state. There's a lot of blowback on it. I think nobody looks good in the end of it. Um, and I think it's still gonna, it's still gonna play out. Right. So um, again, there's no easy way to pivot off of that, but let's talk about the defending national champs here. We know that Stetson Bennett's no longer, you know, he's moved on to the NFL. If I were to ask you, David, how confident are you? No one's ever had a three-peat before. If I, you know, play the percentage game on each of us, what percent chance do you have George is going to do the three-peat? Uh, I'd say like 
35 percent 40 maybe there's a lot of good teams out there and ultimately you're gonna have to win two really good games at the end i think the schedule aspect of it um favors georgia i think the biggest thing for me is you fixed you fixed the biggest issue on your team which is last year's georgia team did not have any receivers and you went out you got mississippi state's best receiver you got missouri's best receiver dominic lovick love it uh so you've got so if you're Carson Beck, right, everybody wants to put all the the uh, spotlight on Carson Beck. we got a pretty good offensive line. Obviously, the defense is going to be squared away. Uh, I think they'll be pretty good at back. But you got Brock Bowers, and you got Dominic Lovett and Ra Ra Thomas to throw to. That's going to ease that transition quite a bit. Um, Carson Beck doesn't have to be Superman to, to win the national title. He's got to be good. Um, he could be worse than Stetson Bennett, and they could still win it. Um I think with their schedule, they can coast into the playoff, regardless of what happens in Atlanta. You know, if they get there and and win or lose, I think they'll be okay. Um, but and they're going to get because of the talent level, because of the the, the two time national championship, whatever you want to say about the committee, they're going to get the benefit of the doubt that a lot of schools will not get um, if they lose a game or you know if they lose two games. You know, if there's a two loss national, if there's a two loss playoff participant this year, it's going to be Georgia, right? Um, so. I think ultimately, you know, they're, they're all the pieces are in place for them to do it. It's just a matter of winning games. I like LSU. If it's not Georgia, I think LSU wins the title. But there's a bunch of teams at the end that certainly can beat Georgia. But if they're clicking and Carson Beck looks like, you know, a first, second round pick, good luck. Stu, give, Stu let's put David set the over under at 35%. Higher or lower for you? Unfortunately, David, uh, I was going to say 33%, and he kind of came in right at that. So yeah, I'm, kinda... I'm, a, I'm around the same. You're going to go. And I'm not it. saying – I mean, and right now we're in the, you know, on paper stage of the season. Sure. We're going to go sure, on paper. paper it looks like they sh- should win the national championship. No but one's ever caution. done it. No one's ever done it. Exactly. I would caution. So we've had two other teams, at least Army, today, Minnesota. Personally. Yeah, USC <laughs> in 05. And Alabama in 2013 tried to do this. USC and came what I will close. say, what you say? USC came super close. They did, but like what I remember about that season is they were so hyped up. They were, I mean, greatest team of all time, et cetera, et cetera. And it kind of, people were slow to notice like, you know what? Their defense is not that good. I mean, you know, think about that Fresno State game. Um you know, and Vince Young ran all over them in the national title game. And you're questioning Alabama in 2013. You're questioning Matt's leadership, aren't you? <laughs> no, I had nothing to do with the offense. <laughs> Alabama in 2013, I mean, it took the kick six for them to not make the um, SEC and likely BCS championship game. So I don't want to make it seem like they were a house of cards by any means. But, you know, they that's the team that got in that huge shootout with, with Manziel. Like, their defense wasn't as good as it had been the previous two years. So I'll be interested to see. And it's going to be, and it's in this case, it's going to be really hard to tell. I mean, the competition is seemingly so weak for most of the schedule. You know, it's going to be really hard to tell, like, is this Georgia team actually on the level of the previous two? Yeah. I think, I think the, I would say the, the, the competition before they get to the playoff is weak, but I think once they get there, I think it'll be pretty tough. Oh, for I think, sure. I think LSU is going to be there. I think Ohio State and Michigan will have teams capable of beating them. We'll see what USC is. I'd like to see their their offense go up against Georgia's defense. I think that'd be a fun watch, and we'll see what their defense has in store. Um, and and you know maybe there's another surprise. There's a Cincinnati or a TCU hovering around there. Maybe not somebody that's quite that low on the on the what the twenty four seven talent composite, but a team that nobody's really talking about. Penn State. We'll see. Would Penn State really shock anybody if Drew Aller and Nick Singleton are guys that all of a sudden have them winning the Big Ten and, and sitting there in the playoff at 12-1? and one? I, I, can't, I wouldn't be shocked if I saw that. Give me a sleeper, both of you, like what LSU was, who is in the SEC right now, who you think is a legit playoff contender that isn't LSU, Alabama, or Georgia. Mm. Pass. Oh, come on. <laughs> Does that mean you're taking Josh Heupel and Joe Milton and you're getting on the train early? I'm saying I don't see a team outside those three really? compete for the SEC championship. I will say uh, Tennessee is the obvious answer just because I think they're there, but I, I think Tennessee has a high ceiling. But I tell you, he has a, also a high ceiling that people are discounting two teams, Ole Miss and Kentucky. 
I so thought you were going to say team. somebody you're else. You're on Devin Leary. Stu is a big skeptic of Devin Leary. Why so skeptical of De Listen, it's not listen. It's not about Devin Leary, Stu. Let me make the Devin Leary case for you, okay? It's not about Devin Leary. Devin Leary, very good player. Can we at least agree on this? Good player, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, Stu, sure. come on. Okay, on. so, Stu, you've got obviously Liam Cohen back. That's the biggest piece, all right? Then you have these two incredible sophomore receivers in Barry and Brown and Dane Key that are freaking burners you get chris rodriguez back your offensive line should be improved last year you talked to coaches and the word that kept coming up with rich scangerella was predictable liam cohen is not going to do that liam cohen is hungry he got he went back to the nfl and i think he really missed the act of play calling and i think he's had a lot to think about he's seen a lot he's seen a lot go wrong in la kentucky Listen, they can sneak up on some people. I'm just telling you, it's a tough road to get through there. But if Kentucky goes there and, and somehow squeezes together at 11-1 and one and loses to Georgia and doesn't have to go to Atlanta, Kentucky's in the playoff. That's never going to happen. I'm sorry. <laughs> Probably like, not. You, you asked can, for a sleeper. You can, and it's not you can sell me on. <laughs> you can sell me on Kentucky has a great season and goes 9-3, and three, maybe yes. even 10-2. and two. I'd You can sell me on 11-1 and one or 12-0. I well, thought you when you said the there's and that's and that's my I thought when you said there's two teams people are overlooking, I thought you were gonna say AM. Because there is a, there's an alternate version of this. AM is talented line. enough to do it. And yeah. I also I probably I probably am sleeping on AM. I am high on AM. I think I'm skeptical they can get it done, but the talent level is there. I like listen, I think the thing with Bobby Petrino, everybody's focusing on, oh, what if this implodes? What if this implodes? What if it works? What, what if, if it works? Had, well, Bobby Trina hasn't had good players to coach since like the since Lamar left in what 2016, 2017. Like now a lot of that's his fault with the recruiting aspects of Louisville and the tank, you know, the, as much as that program tanked post Lamar, they got him fired very quickly. But the dude can still call some ball plays, and he's got a lot of talent uh, around him. You add Ruben Owens to that mix, you still have Connor Wegman, you still have Evan Stewart, and Jimbo let yeah, yeah. If Jimbo gives him up, and I think if you succeed the first two weeks, that makes it a lot easier for Jimbo to take his hands off. You go and beat Miami, Jimbo says, "Hey, maybe I'll, maybe I'm good getting the credit for hiring Bobby. Maybe I don't have to have people bowing it. I know they're not, but they're still Miami. And if you you lost you lost to App State last year, so if you're sitting there and you come home and you beat Miami, they lost Little Tennessee, by the way. That's fine, but I'm just saying you got to get past that first hurdle that says, okay. We're not going to go, you know, what was AM last year, five and seven. We're not going to do that anymore because we've beaten Miami. And then maybe you do Didn't it. Didn't they beat Miami last year on, on the way to their five and seven? Am I misremembering? Uh, maybe. That? It's possible. But um, you, would you rather them lose to Miami? <laughs> no, of course not. <laughs> Look, don't saying. get me wrong. AM was you terrible. Can, if you can do well and get out of there with a win, you're going to be feeling pretty good about yourself, regardless. AM was terrible last year. They did beat yeah. Miami 17 to nine. That was really yeah. the only game that they won in that in that stretch where they had uh, – no, they beat Arkansas. I'm sorry. I don't have much faith that Jimbo is going to let Bobby Petrino be Bobby Petrino. But if he is, you know, amidst a admittedly terrible season last year, some of their most impressive players were freshmen from mm -hmm. that, you know, all-time great recruiting class. Now, a lot of guys from that class have already transferred, but there's plenty more that we haven't even really seen yet. So, I like, think ultimately last year you looked at TCU in the playoff and you're like, how did that happen? If A&M – or if Ole Miss, or if Kentucky get to the playoff, nobody's going to be saying, how did that happen? You're going to be saying, oh, well, these guys all clicked and it all worked, right? So that's the case I would make. TCU has made talking playoff scenarios absolutely fantastic in July. So thank you again, Sonny Dykes. <laughs> For the record, Stu, I did not put David up to that mini Kentucky rant that just sounded like it was coming out of my mouth. The only thing missing <laughs> would have been if he had sung the virtues of Outback and Papacitos and Torchies <laughs> in breath. Because for whatever reason, and I don't know what it is, so we did this QB tears, and I did not know my co-host either had no awareness or just no appreciation for Devin Leary until. Hang on, you didn't have Devin Leary in your top tier. I, I had it. I was the one who put him up, and you're like, I don't know why it got snuck in there. He tacked him on at the end. It was like, oh, that's right, that's right. Well, yeah, that's right. I want to see him with, more, with a, a great play caller, a, a better running game, and good talent around him. I, I think there's a lot of quarterbacks, you know, in the SEC that have come through the league that are a lot of, not even just the, the ACC, but in general, there's a lot of really good quarterbacks that play for bad teams and people don't take them seriously. One of them 
might be making a case as the best player to ever play football right now in the NFL. That people, oh, he's great, but why why can't he go six and six better than six and six? Well, maybe because his defense was terrible, but he was an incredible player. Like hey, David, I think I think people I think people are 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 can underrate that. Before Stu boots you out of here, I do want to ask <laughs> one other one other guy that is a hell of a player that Stu and I are both high on, and he's transitioning a little to more under under center offense, and that's KJ Jefferson. I feel like he's maybe the most underrated player in the SEC, right? Um, because people don't talk about him as oh he's going to be a first round pick, even though he's an enormous guy and he's put a program on his back and made him respectable. What do you think? I mean, what does it take for them to take the next step and how does it work out with him and a former SEC quarterback coach now back at Arkansas running the offense? I got, I'm pretty skeptical. I, I don't love Arkansas coming into this year. I think KJ, I think he's certainly the most accomplished SEC quarterback coming into the season. I'm not sure if you, if you made me make a list of who I think will be the top four at the end of the season, I don't know that I have KJ in that. I think Wegman's going to jump up. Uh, sorry, Stu. I think Devin Leary is going to make a jump up. I think Jaden Daniels will be in that mix. <laughs> yeah, Yelton. I think there's a lot of guys that are due for big years. And I think for him, I mean, I'm a big believer in continuity. And you have two brand-new coordinators uh, at Arkansas. Uh, I, you know, they're in a weird spot. I just don't know that the talent is there. Um, you know, I, I think Arkansas can get to a bowl game this year, but that's, that's going to be tough for KJ to really um, – you know, be a guy that, that that people are talking about in that way at the end of the season if they're sitting there at six and six or seven and five. Great player, a great playmaker. I'll be interested to see how they use him because you have to use his legs to make him as effective as he can be. And I do think, you know, he is the the sort of you know refrigerator full of bricks type of guy. But he likes to play like that too and run over guys. And you saw last year when he's plays like that, he's gonna get banged up. And then when they don't have him, they fill apart. Um, without him um, what did they score against LSU like three points I mean Malik Hornsby trying to run away from uh, Harold Perkins was that was tough that was tough for Arkansas so I, I KJ's a good player but I think Arkansas as a whole I'm I'm not real high on them this year I just got the rap signal from Bruce but real quick does either of you <laughs> Tennessee enthusiasts I mean Kentucky sorry do either of you Kentucky enthusiasts want to go out on a limb right now November 11th Kroger Field do, do the Wildcats take down the Alabama Crimson Tide? Who does Alabama well, I, the week before? LSU. Good, good point. LSU. Okay. I've I've been driving the uh Alabama may go nine and three bus this offseason. So sure, I'll go yes. I think it, I think go. it goes down. That there's does seem them. like there's a lot if, of if you look at Bama's happen, schedule. That's the game. Well, we're so used to Bama plays two or three games that they could in theory lose every season. You look at Alabama's schedule this year. And there is a lot of games on there that if you told me they lost, I wouldn't fall over. Texas, Ole Miss, at AM, I guess Arkansas, Tennessee, LSU, Kentucky, Auburn. I mean, if you told me Alabama lost any of those games, would you would you fall over? I don't think so. And so Alabama is not I the only one I'll say is Alabama's not losing to Texas at home. That's Sark is not going into Tuscaloosa. Are you sure, Stu? Stu, I think that's like the most likely one. I think I'm so baffled. That team had Bryce Young and Will Anderson. I'm so it's not about Alabama. I mean, Ari Wasserman came on this podcast in my absence last week and picked Texas to go to the playoff. (laughs) I read all these Big Twelve Media Day stories about how they're it's their year. You know, they're the team to beat, and I'm just like, what happened? How did we go from eight and five to this? No, what's going to happen is Texas is going to beat Alabama and then lose to like Iowa State. That's what ah, yeah, you're right. is going to happen. That'd but, be more listen, likely. I just think Texas defensively will be great. Alabama, how how are they going to score? How will they score? Because you look at them, they're demonstrably worse at every position on the offensive. Yeah, you're not like, wrong. The offense, you're not wrong. I I just you know the defense is going to be really really good, but they're going to have to figure out how to how to put some points on the board. And, and win some ball games because you look at every position offensively and you're, does anything impress you? Is you're there one on guy the there that you're Buckner like, ah. I take it. <laughs> no, that's a short train. I'll tell you. I'll tell All you right. that. Whatever it's worth. It took 47 minutes for Stu to bring out that I had Ari Wasserman on the podcast where Stu likes to refer to him as the cousin Eddie of the athletic family. So. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I was glad you guys addressed that there actually is no no no, no agenda there. Um, well, look, we brought David on to talk about the Tennessee 
sanctions and we ended up going pretty deep into I mean I would not I would not have guessed we would talk about Kentucky football for as long as we did. So hey, you know, ended up hitting all corners of the SEC. And if we're wrong, hey, Nick Saban, you're welcome for the rat poison. There you go. All right, David, <laughs> thanks for taking so much time today. Thank you guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, David. All right, Bruce, that was a really good SEC conversation. Um, you and I are actually going to both be in Las Vegas later this week for Pac-12 Media Days, where we think maybe possibly there might finally be some news on the TV deal front. Um, Mountain West is also having their media days in, in Vegas right around that same time. So it's going to uh, peek in on that and the whole San Diego State situation. So we'll we'll. I'll see you later this week, and then we'll come back Monday and uh, maybe talk about what we learned. Mm-hmm.